Uh, in case you didn't know, this is Dr. Dale Stover. Dr. Dale is uh, retired, so they say. That's what they say. Uh, from teaching uh, Brethren Church History and Theology at Ashland Theological Seminary. And uh, if you were in class this morning, you got an opportunity to hear about some of the history of the Brethren. Um, and he's going to continue that discussion a little bit and, uh, with a little different tale, right? I hope so. <laughs> so, so I'm going to pray for him, and then I'm going to let him do what he's here to do, right? Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for the opportunity for us to worship here together today. Thank you for the strength that comes when we gather in your name. Thank you for the presence of your spirit today. And I pray that you will give Dale a ready recollection of what he has prepared for you and that it will glorify you and that we will all be strengthened, we will all be edified, and we will all leave here uh, with a commitment and a conviction to do your will in this world. It is in Jesus' holy name that we pray, amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. That's my delight to be able to uh, be with you again. It seems like every couple years I'm uh, down here in, uh, in Gretna, but uh, always am delighted to uh, share in, uh, with the congregation that uh, means a lot to, uh, to me. Uh, obviously, the McPherson clan I'm part of and have been for uh, someone asked how long we've been married, 47 years, I think, and counting. So, um, so we'll uh, enjoy the opportunity again to, uh, to be with you. Uh, I've always been intrigued by a somewhat obscure verse in Matthew's Gospel. After sharing a, a number of parables, Jesus uh, uh, is talking about the kingdom of God. He makes this statement in Matthew 13, 52. Therefore, every teacher of the law who has been instructed about the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. Jesus in his teaching ministry exemplified this ability to share truths both that were old and rep repeatedly drawing out of the Old Testament truths about him. But he also shared new truths as he sought to uh, uh, share about the breaking in of a new age of redemption that would come in his life, death, and resurrection. This morning, I would like to draw upon this imagery of an owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom both new treasures as well as old and relate it to our brethren history. I might paraphrase, uh, paraphrase therefore, Matthew 13, 52 in this way. Therefore, every brethren professor who has been instructed about brethren history is like the owner of a house who brings out of storeroom new treasures as well as old. I'd like to share insights uh, this morning drawn from various brethren slogans and teachings from our past and share how these ideas can continue to guide our pathways in the 21st century. Our brethren faith is a living, it's a dynamic faith that can speak to any and every culture and any and every generation of, of people. And I would like to make sure that this morning this comes across very clearly to you. The brethren of the 1700s uh, often talked about the inner words, uh, the outer words, as well as the living word, Jesus Christ. And they talked about these three words as a way of explaining about how they interpreted, how they approached Scripture. These three words, the outer word of Scripture, the inner word of the Holy Spirit, and the living word, Jesus Christ, are a very... Uh, 
special way, I guess, that brethren have approached their, their faith, their understanding of truth. We begin with Scripture, for that is where God Himself has revealed His truth to us in an objective and outward way. The brethren are people of the book. We are people of the book. Our faith rests upon both a knowledge of, but also a willingness to live according to the truths that we find in Scripture. Our faith will only be as strong as our ability to know and to live the truths that we can find contained in that word. Does anyone know the motto of the Brethren Church? Very good. The Bible, the whole Bible, and nothing but the Bible. Though in some sense this uh, motto might be somewhat naive uh, because we all bring certain assumptions, presuppositions to our interpretation of Scripture. In other words, it's not quite nothing but the Bible. But nonetheless, in the context of the 1880s, when this slogan uh, was adopted, it made perfect sense. The progressive brethren, as we were called at that time, were very concerned that the main body of the church, known as the German Baptist Brethren, who would eventually become the Church of the Brethren, that they were adding to Scripture by mandating such things as how men should actually part their hair. Um, There are only three acceptable ways of uh, parting the hair for, for men. One is you could part it in the middle, comb it down the sides. You could uh, comb it all backwards uh, on your head, or you could comb it down along the sides with a sort of bangs in the front. Unfortunately, I don't do any of those things, so I probably could be disciplined, I don't know, even disfellowshipped by you, I guess, for not wearing my hair properly this morning. Actually, in 1866, there was a question that was brought before annual meeting uh, on this very point, uh, how should men part their hair? And a committee of three people, three men, uh, was chosen to decide this. They came out with their decision, according to these uh, three things I've just said, guess how their hair was parted? One of those three ways, exactly. You got it. The progressives held that we must base our faith on the written word of God alone without adding anything to it or subtracting anything from it. As brethren then, we need to be students of the word. That's why we emphasize so strongly throughout the Brethren Church the importance of Bible studies, of Sunday school, of small groups, personal devotions, scripture-based sermons, so we continue this uh, legacy, this heritage of being people of the book who are guided by its teachings. But being people of the book isn't just the responsibility of the pastor or the Sunday school teachers. We must all take seriously our responsibility of knowing and living the Word. In fact, the brethren believe that, in a sense, we are a a community of discernment. Uh, Through study of God's Word, we as a group of God's people, under the uh, leading of the Holy Spirit, we were able to discern the uh, truths of God's uh, word concerning any issue that we might be facing. And that together we need to study scripture. We need to be open to the Holy Spirit's uh, leading as we engage in various issues that might confront us as a people of God. This leads to the next word, the inner word of uh, the Holy Spirit. We understand the vital role the Holy Spirit plays in our lives. It is the Holy Spirit who takes that scripture and applies it 
to our lives. He is the one who convicts our hearts and our minds of the need to follow the teachings of Christ and the apostles found in Scripture. The Holy Spirit is responsible for that dynamic and transformative work of changing our lives day by day fully into the likeness of Christ. But we need to be willing to open our hearts in a humble, sensitive way to hear those promptings of the Holy Spirit to us. And that means that we need to take time to actually hear and listen the Holy Spirit uh, speaking to us through Scripture, through devotions, through uh, praise mu music, whatever. Scripture and the Spirit then, the outer and uh, inner words, work together to shape and transform our lives so that we bear more fully the image of God in which we were originally created. Brethren also have called the Holy Spirit the teacher because he leads us into God's truth when we humbly as individuals and as a church seek God's mind with regard to any issue that we face. Both the scripture and the spirit though point us to Jesus Christ, the living word. He is a source of life, of light, of truth, of justice and righteousness and peace, all those things that we long for. Christ's death and resurrection are central in God's plan of salvation. Through his cross and his empty tomb, Jesus has de defeated our three greatest enemies, those enemies of sin and death and Satan. Though we do not experience the fullness of our redemption yet, we are assured by the living hope of his return that one day he will draw us into that fellowship that we were originally created for and that we are destined for as his people. But brethren also believe that Jesus' life is every bit as important as his death and resurrection. For Jesus' life gives us the example of what our lives should look like now by the power of the Holy Spirit. We know all too well by experience that we cannot attain perfection in this life, but we are called to that steady growth in Christ's likeness. Paul, uh, for example, in 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, and we, we with all, uh, and we with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory. We are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This leads me to another of the phrases used by the progressive brethren, the future brethren church, to describe their faith. Charles Munson, I believe he pastored here when this was a yoked uh, congregation with Williamstown, often quoted a statement that was used by the progressive brethren. That statement is, seek to know the Lord and practice what you know. The brethren faith, and I would like to say also the biblical faith, is lived from the inside out. It begins with seeking to know the Lord, what Jesus in the 15th chapter of uh, John says, abiding in me, taking time to uh, allow Christ to uh, be a living presence in our lives. It's what we might refer commonly to having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. This inward relationship is a relationship of love for and trust in Jesus. It's the heart and soul of a biblical faith in Christ. This inner commitment to Christ, though, must express itself outwardly in terms of obedience to the commands we find in Scripture, but also in terms of uh, expressions of love towards our neighbor in the world. We are to put into practice what we know our Christian lives should look like, 
based on the teachings of, uh, of Jesus and the apostles in the New Testament. Our lives uh, should more and more model the life of Christ, and especially the fruit of the Spirit uh, that uh, Paul talks about in Galatians 5, and 23. Those qualities that we should look for as we uh, grow into Christ's likeness are things like love and joy and peace and patience, kindness and goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. It's also true that all branches of the brethren across the entire scheme of brethren uh, groups have been known for our commitment to loving our neighbor in the world. That used to be expressed in things like barn raisings, um, helping a sick neighbor uh, with their farm chores, which I know is still being done in this, uh, this community. But more frequently, it is expressed through food pantries, com community gardens, donations of clothing, uh, for the needy, partnering with local sc schools for uh, helping out uh, needy children, etc. I'm sort of uh, the archivist uh, for all things brethren at our national office. Uh, I sort of oversee the, uh, the stuff that always comes in uh, of historical interest in the Brethren Church. There's actually one very, very big box of plaques that we received over the years. Um, World Relief uh, was the disaster relief agency of the National Association of Evangelicals. Year after year after year after year, we always uh, almost received a plaque from them because we had the highest per capita giving towards disaster relief of any evangelical denomination. So again, our commitment to helping our neighbor in the world. Yes, our faith is to be lived from the inside out. When we get this right, we are also fulfilling the twin commands that Jesus indicates fulfilled all those 633 commands in the Old Testament, those twin commands of love God, heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor in the world. When we get that right, we fulfill both of those, uh, those twin commands. One of the biggest challenges that we face in our faith is how we deal with the tensions that inevitably arise, both within a church context, but also in our relationship with the world. The last two statements that I want to consider deal with this very issue. One of the uh, frequent slogans used by the progressive brethren was, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. This uh, slogan was actually borrowed by the uh, progressive brethren, the future brethren church, uh, from other denominations. But it was especially applicable in the early 1880s uh, to the point that I made earlier about the progressives rejecting the idea of forcing uniformity in dress and hairstyles, etc. Clearly, these things were non-essentials to the faith, something on which there was no clear teaching of Scripture that you had to follow that. For such things, there should be liberty extended. But this slogan is very applicable today, nonetheless, maybe for different reasons. I want to look at each one of these uh, three parts of this. In essentials, unity. What are the essentials of the faith? They are those foundational teachings about God, about salvation, about the Christian life the life and death and resurrection, the future return of Christ that every Christian needs to maintain. We should also hold that 
uh, we as brethren should be united on our practice of baptism and communion. Though we have agreed uh, in, at various times to make modification to our positions on that. For example, if people uh, wish to join the church and have been previously baptized as believers by any form of Christian baptism, they, don't, they do not need to be rebaptized, as would have been the case prior to the 1970s. How about the next statement? In non essentials, liberty. What are non essentials? They are those elements of our faith and life upon which there is no clear, thus saith the Lord, a direct uh, teaching. They would be such things as church organization, worship styles, preferences in music, and I want to say more about that in just a bit. Things about whether uh, Christians should dance and play cards or not, uh, both of which were frowned upon at least until my generation, the baby, baby boom generation came into, uh, into play, I guess. One of the interesting stories in the Stouffer household growing up uh, surrounded a gift that my family received from my dad's sister. My dad was uh, one who never taught his kids how to play cards. Uh, he was dyed in the wool brethren on that point. Um, uh, my mother's relatives were the ones who taught us how to play cards, interestingly. Uh, we did learn later that my dad actually played euchre while he was... Uh, uh, at, at work during his lunch hours, but uh, we never knew that, at least for a time. My dad's sister, um, raised in the same household, obviously, as he was, sent us one Christ, uh, Christmas a, a, a game called uh, uh, Tripoli. Tripoli. If you're not familiar with that, it's a set of three card games, uh, hearts, poker, and rummy. Dad, because of his brethren uh, upbringing, uh, was very upset that his sister would uh, taint his children with uh, especially uh, poker. Um, my mother, though, was from Methodist background, so she was a little bit more open on things like that. We did play the games, uh, although we didn't play poker when Dad was around, and we didn't play it for money. But <laughs> On non-essentials, then, we should be willing to extend liberty to others on those things. We should not be judgmental towards others who may have a more open or different uh, view of those non-essential matters. There are two cautions here, however. Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 makes it very clear that we should never use our liberty in any way that causes another person to stumble or that would harm them in any way. A modern practical example of this. We should limit our freedom, for example, about what we eat or even serve uh, with regard to certain foods, when we know that there are people with certain uh, food allergies present. A second uh, caution. Just because a certain practice is not explicitly addressed in Scripture, for example, pornography, such pr practices would, however, violate uh, various Christian principles. We should do nothing that would harm ourselves or others, for that's contrary to maintaining Christian purity of mind and heart, and to living our, uh, and loving our neighbors as ourselves. The third part of this, in all things charity or love. Paul in the great uh, love chapter of 1 Corinthians 13 strongly reinforces the point that our entire conduct as Christians must be governed by the quality of love. As he says in the first three ch uh, verses of that chapter, if I speak 
in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love. I am only a resounding gong, a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can even move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. When I teach uh, at the seminary uh, with regard to our brethren classes, one point I often make, and I shared it in the earlier hour as well, is a is the glue that holds us together as brethren um, are those qualities of love, trust, and respect. And that's true locally, regionally, nationally in the brethren church. You have to have those qualities uh, present. Um, those are the things, uh, because we are so relational in, the, uh, in terms of the brethren church, those are the things that really give us, uh, those are the qualities that unite us together. What binds us together are not the creeds or systems of thought or some kind of normative uh, spiritual experience. It is that love, that trust, and that respect that we ought to have for our brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. As I pointed out earlier this morning too, that's where we actually got our name from. It's from that relationship that binds us together as the brothers and sisters in the Lord. In the Brethren Church, if you allow discord or, discord or distrust to spread in the church and slowly erode our mutual love, trust, and respect, you have severed those cords that hold us together. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. In the 1870s and early 1880s, the German Baptist Brethren, that we were called at that time, allowed disagreements over such things as higher education, over uh, Sunday schools, over uh, uh, paid ministry. They had been uh, uh, free ministry up to that point. They allowed these things to divide the body. These cultural developments uh, um, eventually came to the point where the Three groups uh, basically divided uh, among themselves. One group, the old order, wanting no change whatsoever to the church. The conservatives uh, wanting to try to maintain the unity, but they did that by disfellowshipping uh, the more progressive element, which was us, the Brethren Church. Prior to that, in 1880, at the annual meeting that year, there was a significant statement uh, made, uh, actually just before the divisions occurred that while we are conservative, we are also progressive. This declaration has come to define how we, especially in the Brethren Church, deal with cultural issues that inevitably confront the church in every time period and every uh, location. The conservative side of our faith are those essential truths that we must hold on to because they are scripturally based. We dare not waver from these things, such things as the full divinity of Christ, the full humanity of Christ, the understanding that there is no salvation outside of faith in Jesus Christ, the necessity of upholding in Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and future return, the ultimate authority of Scripture for faith and life. Those are those things that we must always remain conservative on. These and other core teachings of our faith are the foundations upon which our faith rests. To move from them will lead to spiritual shipwreck. 
But there's also a progressive side to our faith. The core truths of our faith always need to be translated, in a sense, into different cultures, into different time periods. The core truths don't change, but the way in which we present them must. Preaching styles change. Evangelistic approaches change. And yes, even music styles change. Do you think uh, worship music developed in the United States would uh, be adopted meaningfully in Africa today? Of course not. And closer to home, do you think the worship music of the 1870s and 80s would be just as meaningful today? Probably not. Do you know what the first worship wars in the Brother Movement were about? Any idea? What's that? Yes, there were these things. They're pianos and organs. The progressive brethren wanted to bring those into the church. That is the legacy of the Brethren Church, to have pianos and organs. Uh, we also brought into the church things like four-part harmonies. We also brought into the church uh, notes in our hymnals. Prior to this, uh, the Brethren had always sung unaccompanied. They had always sung... Um, unison singing. In fact, the uh, old hymn books never had any notes in them uh, prior to the 1870s. So that was, interestingly, the first worship wars that uh, we had. And we as progressives are the ones that adopted all of these, uh, these changes. It's in this discussion that the previous slogan comes into play. Such things as preaching, evangelistic, and musical styles are non-essentials. We all have our preferences in these matters, I certainly do. But the Apostle Paul's counsel to prefer one another in love means that sometimes I may need to forego my preferences for the sake of making sure that people in other generations, other places in the world can be challenged more effectively with the gospel. I want to underscore this. All generations within the church need to, be, to demonstrate that mutual love, trust, and respect towards one another in these matters. Um, I've sort of witnessed secondhand some things uh, that uh, have transpired at Gretna, and I would have to commend you on the way in which you have uh, uh, sought to uh, adopt both the traditional and the uh, more contemporary into your service. Um, I'm sure that didn't happen without some tensions, but uh, uh, some churches have had very, very difficult at, um, uh, ways of maneuvering those, uh, those tensions. So appreciate the uh, way in which you have done that. There's another significant truth related to this idea that we must be both conservative and progressive. Historically, the church, and this is the big C church, Christian church, it's gotten itself into trouble when it's progressive about what it should be conservative about and when it's conservative about what it should be progressive about. The history of the Brethren Movement illustrates very well the point of being conservative about what it should be progressive about. When in the 1880s, some in the Brethren Movement maintained that we must not accept such innovations as higher education, Sunday schools, worship styles, they made non-essentials uh, things, uh, they made those into essential matters in the church. In other words, they were being conservative about things that they should have been progressive about. The other side of this truth, though, tends to be much more of an issue 
in the 20th century and for us in the 21st century. Our modern culture has continued to push the church to accept ideas and moral positions that are at odds with our commitments to Scripture. Belief that there are many different pathways to salvation, changing convictions about sexual ethics, questioning the very divinity of Jesus Christ, all are tempting the church to be progressive about what it should be conservative about. These pressures from an increasingly secular worldview will continue to challenge the church in the future. And this is where the church must maintain a countercultural perspective, while at the same time showing God's love towards those people with whom we disagree. Let me underscore that. For those with whom we do disagree uh, in this culture, we must maintain a quality of love towards them. Um, at some times, the, uh, the Christians have not done that very well. Frankly, this will be the church's greatest challenge in the 21st century, how to maintain faithfully its biblical commitments while still presenting an appealing alternative in such areas as family and faith and ethics. I began this message with the observation that I hoped that I could show that our brethren faith is a living and, yes, dynamic faith that can speak to any and every culture every and any generation. As I've studied brethren uh, faith and heritage over the last 40 years, I continue to be convinced that we are still very well positioned to be able to speak to new generations and new cultures with a message that is true to Scripture and to Jesus Christ, but also is adaptive enough to bring the claims of Jesus Christ through Scripture and the Spirit with compelling truth and transformative power. What makes us brethren is not a set of creeds. It's not a set of theological textbooks. It is rather a commitment to being the people of the book who through study of the outward word, word and the transforming power of the inner word that is the spirit are being molded more and more into the likeness of our living word, Jesus Christ. Let me just offer a word of uh, prayer before we go into the final prayer. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for that faith that has guided, yes, the brethren, but indeed the entire Christian church uh, for 2,000 and plus years. We know that that has not always been guided uh, in ways that uh, um, truly reflect you or without challenge and, uh, and difficulties, but we know, Lord, that you are the Lord of the church and that you have faithfully uh, maintained your presence and your guidance uh, to us through your word and your spirit. We thank you for our, our brethren heritage, part of the uh, Big C Church, um, a heritage that uh, certainly has had, yes, its ups and downs, but also has uh, many areas of its life that uh, are able to guide us uh, towards that truth that is found alone in Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, that as we remain faithful to your word, as we uh, continue to be guided by your spirit, and as we continue to be transformed into the very likeness of your son, Jesus Christ, that we would uh, be faithful in our generation as so many generations before us have been in theirs. So continue your good work, Lord, in us until the day of Christ Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.
No, you can go sit down. You can run away. You're safe. Okay. Thank you. I really appreciate him sharing his knowledge, his passion for the Brethren Church, his love for what it means to the world and what it could mean to the world. And thank you. Appreciate it. We're going to close our service as we, we always do in a time of congregational prayer. We're going to read off those requests. Peg, if you would come play, that would be great. Everyone else, if you could please stand, simply because um, if somebody does decide they would like to come forward, it's less awkward to squeeze your way out than to have to be the only person standing. So if you'd like a time of prayer today, if there's something heavily weighing on your heart or your mind, there are deacons here that would love to pray with you and for you. Uh, and there's, there's always people after church that would love to pray with you and for you as we'd love to see the Lord work in your life in amazing ways because we know He can. We know that is the God we serve. So I'm going to read off a few here. These were taken uh, as they always are before church. You see a person with a thing that says prayer team. Uh, you can always also put your prayers in with one of the kiosks, or you can put it in with one of the phone, or even during church, you can put it in the app, and I will get it, okay? So keep that in mind, and we will read them off. So I'm going to read these off. Uh, Melanie Easton has asked for prayers for her nephew's family, Steve's up. Uh, they lost their daughter to metastatic breast cancer this week. Um, we ask that you lift them up for healing, please. Holly Morris has asked for prayers for the troops because we need them home and for Mike and Terry as they are in Florida. Susan Bechtel's friend, uh, Richard Studeman, uh, his cancer numbers, we've been praying for him off and on. His numbers are back up, unfortunately, so it looks like he's going to need some more chemo and or surgery, so we would ask for prayer for them. She does have a praise also for uh, Lisa Valenga, her sister-in-law. Uh, there's been no more growth in her cancer, and actually some of her tumors have shrunk. So praise God for that. Praise God for that. So my next question is, are there any other prayers we would like to offer up today? Anybody else? Yes, Miss Holly. Pray for Keith Reevestall. Absolutely. Uh, you know, Keith has pneumonia. Yeah, Keith has pneumonia. Um, he is back at o OSU Hospital. Um, Deb is scared and worn out. Um, we know our God is faithful, and Keith is a walking miracle, right, that demonstrates that. But please lift them up, and if you have opportunity to call or text or visit, I would encourage you to do that. Please. Any others? Yes. yes um, my sister had uh, a hip replacement uh, last week, okay. and um, she's doing really good, but I would like to have her remembered in prayer. Okay. Name? Sherry. Sherry, your mm -hmm. sister Sherry. Her sister Sherry had a hip replacement last week. She's doing well, but we need to continue to pray, right? Lift her up. Hip replacements are a challenge. Any, any others today? Okay. That's okay. My, my friend, uh, uh, friend I have from Arkansas, Stephen Williams, had to help him through a rough patch this week. He's doing a lot better. I talked with him last night. He's actually a lot more positive than he was Monday night. Monday night was rough. But praise God, 
he's looking like he's on the up and up, so that's awesome. He deals with a lot of emotional stuff. I think I can relate to that pretty good. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Okay. No others, I will close us in prayer. Father God, again, we thank you so much for an opportunity for us to meet together. Let us not take that for granted. We thank you for the blessings that you have showered upon this body and your people since the very beginning as you've called us all back to you. Lord, we are mindful today of those who are on our hearts and our, our prayer list, those who are hurting whether that be physically or spiritually or emotionally, those who are living in darkness or unable to see hope. And we pray that we will be able to just be a little part of that light, that hope that you desire to put shine into all of their lives. We pray for walls to break down. We pray for opportunities to open up. And we pray for us to have the courage to walk through those, the doorway of those opportunities. To reach out to others, to meet them where they are. To love our neighbors as we love ourselves. And to spread the gospel, the good news, the story of salvation that comes only in one place, and that is through your Son, Jesus Christ. It is to His power and His glory that we offer up all that we are. Please take us from here safely. It is in Jesus' holy name that we pray. Amen.